This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a husband and wife get each other the worst books they can find. For today's episode, Mick read I Shot You, Babe by Leslie Langtree, and I read Rachel Vincent's Shift. Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I am hopped up on some coffee for once. And I'm Susan Dickinson, and we have the day off of work today, which is the best feeling ever. And so instead of drinking wine while recording this podcast, we're drinking coffee! Woo! And we actually got uh, some gumption in us instead of being like, oh, let's record this, let's get silly, and then fall asleep immediately after starting editing. We actually had the time to put up some very professional-looking studio equipment. Yes, very professional. Um, it's a curtain strung up on a coat rack by a jump rope. Yeah, jump rope strung across the room with a curtain <laughs> hanging over it. So, uh, look out, professional radio. Here we come. Uh, still with our $12 microphone. So, it's going to sound... Solid. Ch- choice. Rock solid. Aces. All of these things uh, to bring you the best book exchange podcast possible. Uh, if this is your first time listening, the way this works is that Sue and I... Uh, are married, yeah, uh, and very much in love. Aww. And we uh, go to the Iowa City Public Library, find the worst book we can find, and then give it to each other so they have to read it. It's usually a pretty good time. I tried to stay away from the nonfiction section recently, yeah. and I think it's done wonders for us. My book, as you heard in the intro, is I Shot You, Babe by Le- Leslie Langtree. An Iowa-grown uh, author, so she's local. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm neat. surprised there's not a little sticker that's like, this book was written only X miles away from this library like we have in those restaurants now. <laughs> um, and I read Rachel Vincent's Shift because, of course, I did. Yeah, um, I've begun to notice that I, I have a certain style that I go to, and it usually involves uh, two smart aleck for their own good uh, body-shifting novels uh, with a female-centric lead, uh, but come on, they're they're terrible. I looked on the back of this book when I went to go find it. Being the first female werecat enforcer isn't easy. <laughs> okay, I put it in my back pocket <laughs> and started walking away. But if we continue on, now our pride is under attack by a flight of vicious thunderbirds. Yep. Thunderbirds. Yep. Uh, here you go. This one, I read about three words on the back of the cover and knew that it was for you. Uh, so shift w- the fifth book in a single word uh, book series, apparently. Yeah. The other books are Stray, Rogue, Pride, Prey. And this one is Shift. And the next one is Alpha. And the title of the series is called Shifters, because apparently Mick is just really leaning into this theme yeah, you know, here. <laughs> uh, of course, the seventh book will be Pause, and it'll be kind of like a... God, I hope it's done before after the sixth book. Well, I hope it doesn't the, go to a seventh. The seventh book of Pause, P-A-W-S, uh, since it's an animal thing, will kind of be a, a departure. It won't be as fast-paced. Uh, it'll give you time to breathe. I'll slow down a little. A little bit. A little bit. Um, so Shift by Rachel Vincent is really boring. (laughs) It's just so boring. And it shouldn't have been boring. Like, there... She's a... She's a... 
werecat shifter. Her pride is on the brink of civil war. There's all this political intrigue about feuding over a council seat on the werecat council. There's always a council. There's always a council. And they're they're under attack from the Thunderbirds. She's in the middle of a love triangle. Her Question. brother just got murdered. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, because now you've dropped the whole brother murder thing. <laughs> yeah. But I have a couple questions. What book uh, do you think started the idea that, okay, shape-shifting animals, what government should they have? Obviously, a council. It's like it's in a textbook now. Yeah. I mean, Is the, it Twilight? The, the five shifting books that you've gotten me for Bibliophile have all involved werecat councils, so... Well, apparently they sell well. Uh, my second book, my second question. Yes. Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds. That's, that's my question. Thunderbirds are shifters. They are human beings that can shift into gigantic birds with like a 12 foot wingspan. Oh, that rocks. And yeah, it's pretty badass. Well, I'm going to be honest. They shift into a rock. ROC, the gigantic bird of ancient Greek. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, <laughs> you got it when I told you it was Greek. Oh, which is, it, Greek legends. It took me a minute to place it. You, you need more At first coffee. I thought you were talking about Pokemon. No, that's Ho-Ho. <laughs> is that Pokemon called a Ho-Ho? No, Ho-O. H-O-O-H. That's even worse, I think. He's a legendary in the gold generation. Oh, so anyway, the Thunderbirds are actually, like, the concept of them is pretty cool. Like, people who can shift into massive birds with 12-foot wingspans. And they, like, apparently, the werecats shifting takes between one minute to five minutes. Like, it's not instantaneous. And it's really painful. But the Thunderbirds can shift instantly. Like, they can shift in seconds. And so, they can, like dive bomb from the air and then the second before they land shift into you like and break their legs it's the like the concept of them is pretty cool what but not in the book i don't i don't know oh they don't have any sort of like lightning power no they don't have magic lightning powers that would be absurd nick that's not realistic <laughs> is this urban fantasy does she work at mcdonald's and change into a wear it's cat not on her? urban fantasy but it is set in appalachia so it's like in our current world, <laughs> which yeah. I know is your favorite thing. Does she own a bar or does she own a restaurant or does no, she own a strip club? No, she is not allowed to have a job other than being an enforcer. She's a werecat enforcer. Her dad is the alpha of their pride. There are a lot of capital letters. Enforcer, alpha, and pride are all capitalized. I gotta stop drinking coffee when you're explaining this because I'm about to spit taking over the microphone each time. So all of those like major plot lines that I mentioned... You would think that this would be a really interesting book. Like I was almost, <laughs> I was almost a little afraid that it was going to become like that cover me book that was just too many genres. Yeah. But she actually ties all of the different plot lines together pretty well, so it's not just like this is happening and also this and also this and also this. Like one thing is happening because of another, oh. and it, it all actually ties in really well. Um, the the writing of the plot lines is actually pretty solid, mm. but the pacing is atrocious. Well, we're on a theme episode this week. Uh, apparently we are. <laughs> the pacing is so bad because all of this big stuff happens crammed into one chapter, and then we spend a hundred pages being angsty about it. Oh. And so it's like she... 
they're under siege from the Thunderbirds, and she is really upset that she can't leave the house, and several of her pride members have been killed by the Thunderbirds, so naturally she's upset about that. I'm sorry, I'm um, going to laugh every single time you say Thunderbirds, that. yeah. And then she also, in the previous book, broke her arm, so she's in a cast, which means she can't shift and she can't fight, which makes her really unhappy. And so, so for a hundred pages, she just, like, mopes around the house and bitches about it. No kidding. Like, okay, uh, Rachel, se- sell me on your novel. Okay. It's about this shape-shifting fighter uh, that has to lead her pack to victory. Ooh, I like it so far. What's the what's the challenge? She can't shapeshift or fight. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, so it's just like, I was so bored for huge chunks of it, and then everything would happen at once, and then I would go back to being really bored again. So, like, just to give you a quick and dirty plot summary, um, the the pride is on the brink of civil war with a rival pride whose alpha is named Calvin Malone, which, if you will remember the book that we read that with familiar. Matt and Meg, they they were a werecat pride, and their last name was Malone. I think this is an extended universe with Bear Meets Girl, and they're warring against <laughs> oh, God. Bear Knuckles Malone's pride. Oh, jeez. Yep. That's my, that's my extended universe theory today. I am in stunned mind blowedness. Yep. Like, so, I can't even, I have a pun, but I'm not even going to say it, because it's, I like that theory so much that these shifter books are beginning to coalesce into one steaming pile of crap instead of separate, discrete individuals or pieces <laughs> so of so great. Um, but they're on the brink of civil war because Calvin Malone and Faith, our main character, Faith's father, oh. are fighting over a council seat. And also, Calvin Malone's pride killed Faith's brother, Ethan? Oh, uh, yes. Faith. And Ethan. Faith and Ethan. Yeah. Solid werecat names. I was thinking more country music duo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Give it up for Faith, Ethan, and the werecats. I mean, it is said in Kentucky. That's too many so TH probably. noises anyway. Faith. Faith and Faith Ethan. Faith and Ethan. Um, Here's your brother, Theodore. But anyway, as they are getting ready to like launch an attack on Calvin Malone's pride, they're attacked by the Thunderbirds. <laughs> And the the Thunderbirds are after them because Calvin Malone has tricked the Thunderbirds into thinking that Faith's pride is responsible for the death of the Thunderbird that was actually the oh. fault of a member of his pride, Calvin Malone's pride. I love that uh, that play, Death of a Thunderbird. Death of a Thunderbird. <laughs> um, so... The Thunderbirds are trying to steal the women. There aren't very many women, and apparently if you have women in your pride, that makes you more powerful because then you're going to have babies. Nature rules. And so they're trying to steal the women and bring them to Calvin Malone and then also kill all of the Toms, the, the, the men. Yeah. And Faith and her sort of daughter, question mark? What? It's not like her like biological daughter, but... There was this girl, her name's Casey, she's a tabby. And Ugh, what? Yeah, isn't that gross? So they're not like were lions, they're like were cats. Like yeah, like cats. So you get twelve foot wingspan birds. I think they're supposed to be like pumas or like mountain lions. <laughs> but they're like But they're just cats. Mr. Tumnus is yeah. one a character and another thing from that musical. 
Mr. Tumnus is from the Chronicles of Narnia, oh. and he's a he's a goat person. Who's the one from Cats? I have no idea. I've never seen Cats, and I know nothing about it. That is not in my cultural lexicon. Okay, here's your secondary characters, Andrew, Lloyd, and Weber. Okay, so Casey, let, let me just read you a sentence of Casey's backstory. Considering what she'd been through, accidentally killing her mother and sister during her first shift, then wandering through the woods for weeks on her own, stuck in cat form, Casey's diehard pacifist dance was no surprise. <laughs> so this 13-year-old girl has kind of an extreme backstory, but she, uh, she, like, Faith has sort of, like, taken her under her paw, and, um... Casey and Faith get kidnapped by the Thunderbirds, and they're trying to convince the Thunderbirds that it was Calvin Malone's pride who killed the Thunderbird and then tricked them into attacking Faith's pride, and they have 24 hours, 48 hours, to come up with proof. And well, Faith, nice gets, Faith gets released to go find proof, and Casey stays, and if she doesn't come back in 48 hours, Casey dies. So that's, like, the main plot line except we don't get to that part until we're two-thirds of the way through the book because Uh, we spend a hundred pages watching faith pout and pace through the house and be angsty about everything mr mistopheles by the way but i do there are a couple of just really crazy like paragraphs that get thrown in there Uh, let me me is the main villain like a rum tum tugger is that a cat's reference? Yeah, I, know. I love that you had to Google it because no one knows anything about cats. Let's find it. This is good radio. Oh, okay. So here's one thing. They're under siege from the Thunderbirds. And the Thunderbirds <laughs> are all like, just basically like flying in circles around their house and beating their wings really hard. And for some reason, it shuts down the power ah, yes, in their the compound. And so they're all freaking out like, Without power, we couldn't access the internet, charge our phones, or even cook, much less heat the house, and all this stuff. Like, we're, we... Wait, oh, we would definitely run out of food if they couldn't leave the house. We'd stocked up the day before, but two dozen full-grown werecats go through food very, very quickly. We'd eaten 15 pounds of beef in the chili alone. And, like, I Jesus. don't understand why is the fact that there are birds hovering around your house impacting your power? Like, why is the power out? Because there's birds in the sky. Is that, has that been a problem for anyone ever? Well, I was going to say, they live in Appalachia. You think that they only got uh, electricity like a decade ago. They'd right? Or you feel like, you know, everyone, I feel like everyone out in rural areas has a backup generator. What's the, wrong with you people? The real hero of this book is the TVA. But What's that? The Tennessee Valley Authority. It is a new deal on from FDR that provided a lot of electricity to uh, Appalachia. I'm anyway, married to a history teacher. Um, do you think that the reason they needed all that food is because if they put out the same food two days in a row, all of the werecats would like stick their nose up at it and refuse to eat it? Probably. And if they're hungry, Cats you just have to hear assholes. you have to hear them walking around the house meowing the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like I have food out for you. <laughs> um, one other very extreme paragraph. Lance had let Malone frame us for murder, putting all our lives at risk, including Parker's. My brother, Ryan, had sold me out to a serial rapist jungle stray who'd planned to sell me as a broodmare in the Amazon. Betrayal sucks. 
Wow. And that's the only time we ever hear about Ryan or that incident. It's never brought up again. We just talk about it that one time. Oh my god. Like, it just every once in a while she'll throw in things that are just so intense. It's ridiculous. Um, and then, like, the ending is pretty weird, too. Like, the whole end, the whole probably, like, final third of the book is Faith trying to find proof that it was Malone the whole time. And she brings with her two Toms from her pride, Mark, her fiancé. Oh, you said their name was Tom. And Jace, the dude that she cheated on her fiancé with. And her fiancé doesn't know, and then he finds out, and so that's really awkward. And... Like, you would think that that would somehow be wrapped up in, like, the climax of this book. Like, a fight between the two of them or something. But then, in the last ten pages, they throw in... They bring the guy who killed the Thunderbird back to the Thunderbirds. He confesses. Oh, And good. he's going to be put to death. And then, in the last nine pages, he steals a baby Thunderbird and... Somehow gets down from the nest without dying and runs away with the baby Thunderbird and is trying to escape. Wait, they live in a nest? Yeah. Humans? It's like on the top of a mountain. All covered in cheese? Yeah. On top of spaghetti. Do you think that the d- author got... I love that you. Vocal. I love that you like. It really killed you to say the word author in relation to this book. <laughs> yeah, the author got a phone call from her agent that was whoops. Good save. Our professional recording equipment almost fell over. And then there's this weird like three-page chase scene through the jungle, not the jungle, like the forest through the trees. Where Casey's trying to get the baby Thunderbird back, and then Casey's fiance Mark kills the guy and then brings his body back to the Thunderbirds. And it was just so, it was just a really weird and confusing addition to the very end of a book. Yeah, so he dies anyway. He dies anyway. Like what was the point of the whole thing? He dies anyway. It's not like setting you up for future plot lines in the next book where you have to continue finding him or there's more to do with the Thunderbirds. And then we don't wrap up anything with Calvin Malone or the Civil War. Um, we don't wrap up anything with the love triangle. We actually just sort of forget about Casey. Like, <laughs> she she's free now and the Thunderbirds aren't going to kill her. But, like, we just sort of forget about her and don't talk about her anymore at the end. Like, the... the Oh, the pacing of it was just so bad. And it could have been... It could have been good. Like, it would, it would never have been, like solid literature but it could have been a decent like Airport road book? trip read yeah yeah like i don't need anything super intellectual right now i just want a book that i can read quickly <laughs> you in america right um but like you know a book that you can read quickly that is enjoyable to read like entertaining it could have been a it could have been a good one of those but instead, the pacing is just bad, and you're angry about wasting 100 pages of your life reading about angsty, angsty faith. Well, which I feel like, though, that's how some people feel about Harry Potter, which makes me sad. Because there's, like, a whole book where you're just listening to angsty Harry wine. Yeah, because he's, like, 14 years old. Yeah, she's not 14 years old. Yeah. She's a grown adult. Well, she, however, is a cat. And she cats is a cat. are extraordinarily angsty. They are, and they're assholes. 
all of the characters, all of the werecat characters are assholes. Which, like, Makes it very lives up read. to cat stereotype. Hmm. But that's about all I got. It was a, it was a crazy book. There were some weird, weird, weird parts of it. Um, but the pacing was atrocious, and I just wanted, like, I want her to try again and rewrite it. You know, I yeah. want her to, I want her to to do better because it could have been, it could have been something. <laughs> Put that in your book jacket. <laughs> yep. So that's my. Uh, that's my stamp of non-approval that I give to Shift by Rachel Vincent. It could have been something. Not good, but it could have been something. Uh, my book <clears throat> we've got here is I Shot You, Babe by Iowa's Leslie Langtree. What can you tell me about when you picked this one out, Sue? So I actually, I had a book in my hand that I was going to get you that felt like a less bad version of Midnight Sins. It was I don't like think it can be worse. It was like the it was it was a romance novel about a bad boy. It was set in Colorado on a ranch. The girl was like the good girl next door who fell for the bad boy and all that kind of stuff. So I think it was like a lot of the themes of Midnight Sins, yeah, except like, they didn't add in the whole murder plot was it and dusk mistakes. Mm, you know, funnily enough, it it might not have been too dissimilar from that. Dusk mistakes. That should be the next book that you try to write, Mick, is a good version of Midnight No, I'm writing the novelization of The Room. Oh, that's right, that's right. But So I had that book in my hand, but I, I couldn't find you. you. You had disappeared and I didn't know where you were, so I continued to wander through the stacks. And then I saw I Shot You, Babe, and it has the, the, the pink high heel symbol for a mystery romance. And... I decided that I needed to take a look at that. I decided that warranted future uh, future observation. And there's a man in the front. He looks like a contestant on The Bachelor. He's wearing a nice suit. And he has a rose pinned to his lapel. And he's holding a handgun. A handgun that is, like, halfway disassembled, by the way. It's very confusing. Um, if this labels itself as a mystery romance, then you should get to sue the book company because there's absolutely no mystery at all. There's and there not? was absolutely no romance at all. It's <laughs> so what kind ridiculous. of book was it? Shitty. Um, so this book is called I Shot You, Babe. I Shot You, Babe. I can't remember how the melody goes. But... I got you, babe. Yeah. Sonny and Cher would say I Shot I got you, got you, Babe. babe. Yeah. Um, our author has stuck to quite a theme in her books. Uh, they are called is the, it share puns? Is that the theme? They're called the greatest hits books. And it's, excuse me while I kill this guy. Guns will keep us together. And stand by your hitman. Stand by your hitman. It's like, <laughs> we can't exactly have a grace note in the in the title. But this is her fourth book. It is not a series, I hope. Or else it's even worse. Uh, our main character is Coney... Island, Bombay. As no, in... that's the setting. No, <laughs> I wish those were the two settings because that would make for a very interesting. That's not book. his name. That is his name. No, it's not. Coney Island. Coney... No, it's not. Bombay. Stop. It goes by Sai. No. Which once again, yeah. That is not his name. Yup, that's his name. Coney he... Island, Bombay. Yup. He works as a carny, which. Uh, you'd think would make sense, like, oh, Coney Island, I get it, because there's a carnival on Coney Island. But the thing was, 
that he was in academia for like 25, 26 years of his life with the ridiculous name of Coney Island Bombay. Can you imagine seeing that show up on a syllabus? Yeah. Welcome to Principles of Macroeconomics with Professor Coney Island Bombay. Oh, he is not an econ professor. That would prove too useful. He is a PhD in philosophy. Hey, don't knock. There are a lot of people that have that in academia. Yeah, but like, there's a difference between... You can't really leave academia if you have that, though. But yeah, there's a difference between like a, a doctor of something and he has a doctorate in philosophy or like a principal or something. But this was just like... I named my guinea pig Sartre. I don't even know how to pronounce that philosopher. Satra? Satro? I don't know either. Satro? I'm not going to try with the French. But S-A-T-R-E. Satro. Uh, The guinea pig has an emotional state that is pretty volatile. I'm sorry. Volatile. Uh Uh Um, But he is a Bombay. He is a child of the... very famous, but yet also extraordinarily secret. No one knows about it. The guinea pig? No. The... <laughs> Coney. <laughs> Mr. Island Bombay. He's uh. a member of this extraordinarily secret, but still very uh, famous because they get a lot of hits for them, which I don't know how they're secret if people are paying them. Uh, Bombay assassin family. They've been doing it for nigh on 2,000 years. Where... Yes, a family have been assassins for 2,000 years? Yes. And they, like, bring up people, and if you want to get married, you have to, like, tell your spouse within five years of meeting them, or else the family kills them. And they, like, if you want out, they'll kill you, too. And so it's a whole thing. Um, He, it starts the book with his murder of a football player who was into drugs or something. It never really went into it. Uh, Later, he kills a, uh, like, I think a Russian, or a, uh, a child of an English diplomat who was using his connections to bring in drugs or something. Usually altruistic murdering, I suppose. But those are the only murders he commits in the book. And you would think an assassin, a book about an assassin, and they both happen within the first third. So he's not just, like, killing left to right? No, he kills right to left. Oh, okay. He's got a Hebrew style. Um, But it's supposedly a romance because when he's working at a carnival, which is what he does between hits uh, because he likes the freedom... Uh, a woman who is a being grad an student. assassin doesn't give you enough freedom. <laughs> yeah, um, his he is uh, approached and interviewed by a woman named Veronica Gale, who he names Ronnie. It's gross, uh, and she gives she tries to give him an interview, and he's an asshole. But he only does it because he's really attracted to her. How do we know that he is attracted to her? The book tells us I was attracted to her. I, oh. Here's a common theme, both in my retelling of this book and the actual writing of this book, is the phrase, I didn't know why, but... Like, dog, you're in charge of telling us why. That's your job as the author. I feel like, you know how we always comment on how a lot of the authors that we read in this podcast, they all went to the same writing class where they learned to use too much detail and too much metaphor... I feel like this guy missed that. Like he, his invitation didn't arrive in the mail, and so he's he's not he's not doing any of the show. Don't tell. Yeah, it's all telling, um, and it's terrible. Where, so okay, uh, there's not a lot to say specifically. This is this book sucks and is annoying, in the way that that guy at your office sucks and is annoying. 
where it's just the littlest things, but the little things build up over 300 pages or three years of working, whatever. And as soon as he, you know, clicks his teeth one more time on the on the spoon or fork or whatever, you want to just explode at him and yell at him. But then you look around and realize that everyone would see you yelling at a guy because he happened to bite his fork. Yeah. Like, you know he does it every single time on top of all the other stuff that he does. And it's terrible writing and he's a terrible employee. But you still can't, like, yell at him for it. So it's kind of frustrating that there's no one single thing I can pick out from this book uh, except for the conversational tone. The narrator and main character of the book, uh, it's written in first person, as always, for terrible books. Always is like, I'm sure you're wondering why I blah, blah, blah. And I bet you would have guessed all these things like that. I hate it when they talk to the reader. Yeah, they talk to the reader constantly. And he's like, would I... Why did I do this thing? Well, I guess I don't really know. Maybe you have an idea. Like, if I wanted someone to talk to me and I wanted to listen to their conjectures, I would have a conversation with a person. Yeah, I'm trying to avoid people here. (laughs) That's why we record this and then send it out. Can I make one comment about the names? So, her name is Veronica Gale. Yes. So, she has two first names and he has three places for a name. Yeah, he has no names. Um... (laughs) So, he meets up with Veronica Gale for this uh, 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 interview in the carnival that he works at. Um, She gets mad at him because he's being a pretty clear asshole and runs away. And then he goes to Mongolia. Oh! To fight in this, like, Mongolian tradition. And because he has to be entirely smug and awful, he has just every hobby... Uh, he's a PhD in like uh, philosophy. Uh, he takes care of his guinea pig. He's a professional assassin. He goes to Mongolia to fight, and he knows some Mongolian. And he knits. Uh, he's a good cook. And it's like you can't just give all the stuff to a character. Like yeah, there's you have this... to. You can't let him be good at everything. Well, he's not even like. And then uh. uh... She dedicates the book to her husband. This book is dedicated to my husband, Tom. Sai is modeled, as are almost all my heroes, on him. So I guess her husband knits and cooks and knows philosophy or something. I don't know. But he goes to Mongolian for, Mongolia for this fight tournament. Uh, Nadam or something. There's a lot of weird Mongolian words sprinkled through. And I didn't do any research because I didn't want to do any more research than my author. Um... But he, like, spends time in Mongolia, and it's like, oh, fish out of water, and he's training, and it turns out he's actually pretty good at the sport. Whoa, who would have thought? To his, to uh, the author's credit, he does not win at the tournament, but he gets to, like, the third round. So it's really annoying that it's like, oh, this white guy uh, came to Mongolia and beat Mongolians at their own sport. Yeah, that's annoying. But while he's there, he is tasked with assassinating another person, and he's like, there's three people in one year. Which I don't know what the going rate is for assassins. Yeah, I was gonna say he can work three times a year and still support himself, or well, he's is he got, just like, bringing a in a lot of money from this job well, at the carnival. The the Bombay family is extraordinarily oh, rich. Oh, gotcha. Um, I don't know if there's an APY in assassin assassinations per year stat that he usually sticks to. Uh, but he's in Mongolia, and they somehow slip him the target of Arj Decker, who is a Dutch mercenary who's accused of doing all these terrible war crimes. He's like, okay, he's, the Ars Decker is supposed to be coming to this tournament as well. And so, all right, fine, whatever, we'll go along with the fiction. 
And then while he's there, uh, Veronica is there. Veronica Gale. The Why is she in Mongolia? Oh, before I get to that, he also saw her once in Miami at a hotel uh, where he met her and like somewhat seduced her and then got her rip-roaringly passed out drunk and then uh, slept in the chair while she slept on the bed. Anyway, nice of him. Well, yeah, I suppose. But uh, then so they... they just keep happening to be in the same place. At the yeah, same time? and here's the explanation. I guess she was studying or something. Like that's it. There's no. So I thought that there was gonna be some second act twi- or third act twist where it turns out like she's the actual rival assassin and this Arsh Decker dude was nothing. Oh, that would have been pretty good. Yeah, that would have been pretty good if 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 a little done. But you know, whatever. Nope. Okay, like, I get if you keep running into the woman that you're attracted to at, like, the grocery store and the post office and but yeah, the we gym. Go from, we go from Nebraska to Miami, Miami. to Mongolia. Uh, and she is a student at the University of Iowa, which I was like, woo, I live there. Oh, pretty yeah. Much. Uh, but that makes it even less likely. Um, so they, she's in Mongolia and, with, and he's like, hey, come live. You'll get a way better study if you actually live with the people, with me. So she comes back to the yurts and everything and starts living with him, and then they do it. There's, like, absolutely no... It's... Why do you like each other? What? There's no... Anything. Like, what do they have in common? I'm struggling. They're both in academia. He's an asshole to her. I don't know. They fight for the first time, and then they have, like, angry sex, I guess. Because no romance can ever just have two characters have sex. They They always have to be fighting. Yeah, um... But it's there's no real physical description of her. She's not beautiful. She's not mousy. She's not like uh, glasses or ponytail, paint covered overalls. She's not. She's just generic. Sled, like, she, no, she's just woman. She, like there's no description. And then they do it, and he's like, "Oh, I couldn't take my eyes off of her perfect breasts." And I'm like, "I don't know what they look like. I have no idea of her body type. Is she yeah. tall? Is she skinny? Is she like thick? She." Uh, hourglassy nothing she has perfect breasts that's as much description as i get and you know i don't want it to be like her taut nipple stood out against the sheer fabric and her five foot seven i don't need that but like what color was her hair yeah i don't know how did she wear it i don't know what demeanor does she have i don't know they they're just like do it and she has perfect breasts and then they do it like three more times and then they go to this, like, big tournament, and she gets mad at him, and it looks like there's going to be a love triangle developing between him, Veronica, and, like, the target, because they uh-huh. run into, because it's two white guys competing at this Mongolian fighting of festival. Course. And so he's, I think that one stood out in fiction as, like, hey, this would be a thing that would happen. You know, like, oh, hey, another guy that speaks English here. Yeah. And you'd, you'd attract, but it looks like there's going to be a love triangle developing, and it doesn't. So, spoilers ahead, I'm just going to go full through the rest of the book, because it's the, and it's the, like, once the action's supposed to have started. And so, this is, this is moderately paced. There's a little bit too much of him, like, training, you know? And you kind of want to get through the rest of the stuff and get to the actual assassination. And so, he shows up uh, to the training thing. It's him and another white guy, Arj Decker, this, like, to his knowledge, torturing, like, a genocidal kind of mercenary, does it for the highest bidder. And he's supposed to kill him. But now he's got the academic who wants to interview Arsh Decker as well. And so he has to make it look like an accident. So I'm like, hey, we're like ramping up into some neat stuff. Uh, And then he gets hit on the back of the head uh, and knocked out. And Veronica is still there when he wakes up. Right. And so 
he's like, was it ours? Was it somebody else? I might have just gotten mugged. And then he goes and uh, fights, and he comes back, and Veronica's gone because she's out interviewing Archdeck. And you're like, oh, no. It's going to be bad. And then he mm. gets there, and they're, like, on a picnic blanket eating. And when he gets there, he's like, hey, how's it going? And then they start fighting to the death, basically. Just on the picnic blanket? Yeah, like, right in front <laughs> of her. And, like, Veronica Gale is like, oh, typical man, you're always trying to pop. And Does she know what? He, she doesn't know what either of them do. Oh, my goodness. And so she treats it like some sort of, like, drunken hootenanny where some guy spilled a beer and now they're, like, beating their chests at each other. But it's like, dog, they're trying to murder each other. She's so, not concerned? Doesn't seem like it. And then uh, Arjdecker knocks out our protagonist. Uh, so he is knocked out. He kidnaps Veronica, leaves the protagonist alive. This is this murderous, like, mercenary. Yeah. Kidnaps Veronica. He wakes up, there's a note that's like, hey, come get Veronica. And then so he takes his pals and goes to this industrial section and Veronica is left there tied and he has to decide, or she's knocked out. And so he's like, I have to decide whether I'm going to save her or go for the guy. And then he can like hear the dude in the near distance running away and he decides to save the girl and take her to the hospital. And it's like, why did the guy kidnap Veronica if he's just going to leave her there? Yeah, I mean, like, why would he intentionally set himself up for a Batman showdown? And then run away from it. Yeah. So if you didn't want a Batman, like, the whole point of the Batman showdown, right, is then you fight Batman. Yeah. You get him to come to a place. And then you fight him. And then you fight him. So why did he kidnap her if he's just going to give her back? Why did he give, like, a a Batman showdown if he's not going to show down? And he runs away, and then they take a plane to London, uh, and... Find him there, and they fight in an airport, and the cops don't come at all, and he takes Arj Decker back to Okay, that's probably the least believable thing. Yeah. That and his name. Because if you so much as, like, bump into someone or look at them wrong in the airport, you're going to have TSA all up in your business. Yeah. Um, And now the, uh, uh, he take, he, like knocks out Arj Decker and puts him in his private jet, and he's going to take it back to his family's island and the, uh, like South Pacific, just off the coast of South Africa or South America. And now Veronica and him are fighting for some reason. She decides that she doesn't like anything about him. I don't know what's up with that. Maybe because she figured out that he's an assassin. No, she didn't. And so he takes her back home to Iowa City. Wait, hold up. So they have a big fight. Yeah. On the picnic blanket. Yeah. She gets kidnapped. Yeah. He rescues her. Yeah. From the kidnapper. And she has no idea what he does for a living? No. Yeah, uh, she, she does not. She has some inkling that he's, like, not above board. And she's like, what are you going to do with him? And he's like, I'm definitely not going to kill him. And it's, why is he still alive? You captured him. You're a hitman. Kill him. And he's dead. And then the book's over. Uh, this is about two-thirds of the way through the book. So she's mad. She goes back home to Iowa City. Uh, and he drops her off, and there's a man at the house that she's living at. And he goes, oh, I messed up, and uh, I was the other guy. And he's all distraught about it, this murdering hitman who sleeps with a ton of women because he's super sexy, of course. Uh, goes back to the island and proceeds to use his, like, the Ars Decker, the, the uh, mercenary guy, as, like, a psychologist. He's like, what should I do? And, he won't kill him because he's... So he's just letting the dude, like, hang out on his island? Yeah, in, like, a, in a private cell and everything. And his parents, the Bombay Assassin family, are like, uh, you gonna kill him or what? And 
Nope, he takes him off the island and lets him go free. Why? I don't know. Um, then he goes back to Veronica and she tells him, hey, there's this, uh, oh no, after he lets the assassin go free, they're like, hey, you have to take Veronica back to our island because she knows too much and you're gonna have to kill her. It's like he didn't kill the murdering child assassin or whatever, the murdering mercenary. And so he goes to pick her up to take her back to keep her safe. Except kill her. Yeah. And he picks up his other cousins that also happen to live in Davenport, Iowa, which luckily for that. Yeah, uh, so convenient, right on the interstate. Yes. They take them all back, including Veronica and her, what he finds out is her gay cousin and not her boyfriend. Uh, Puts them in the plane, takes them back to the island, and on the way the cousins are like, we don't want to do this anymore. We don't want to be family Wait, of Wait, so assassins. does her cousin come too? Yeah, Veronica's cousin comes They're too. just all on a trip to the island together for yeah. no reason? Yeah, of the secret assassin cult. Um, secret family assassin thing. And so, on the way back, the cousins are like, I don't want to do this anymore. And you've never met these cousins before. And they're like, we don't want to be assassins. And the guy's like, yeah, I don't want to be assassin. I couldn't kill this guy. And so, it's ramped up that there's going to be this, like, parents versus kids showdown. Our parents might kill us. Like, this has happened in our family's history before. Of, like, a mother gunning down her son when he wants out of the business or whatever. And so, they get there and there's, like, this huge nervousness. They didn't bring any guns because they don't think they can kill their parents. And... The parents are all sitting around this table because there's a council. And they're like, Of course there's a council. And they're like, hey, we don't want to be assassins anymore. And the parents go, okie doke. We're, we're done being assassins. That's the end. Not the end of the book. The end of the assassin thing. Because there's still like 40 more pages. And so then they take everyone back home, including Veronica and her cousin. And back to Iowa? Back to Iowa. They and just went for the day? Basically. To the island yeah, for a day? Basically. I feel bad for the cousin. He's just, like, chilling. Just, I don't know what's going on. This is what you get when you live with Veronica. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so he drops her off back in Iowa City, and they're still fighting for some reason? Sorry. Does she know that he's an assassin, though? Not, uh, he might have told her by now. I can't remember. No, he didn't. Uh, because then he goes back home, and his mom comes in and is like, Hey, so this whole quitting the assassin family thing, and he's like, Yeah. That was, that was pretty easy. And she's like, we hoped you would do that. We were trying to set you up this whole time. Why didn't they, they just end it? Cause, yeah, because they wanted to quit with their parents, but they wouldn't let them. So they are hoping their new generation would end it. Why didn't they just decide when they became the parents that we're not going to do this anymore? Totally. Remember when I started, like, I seemed to be flying through this book, and then all of a sudden, nearing the end, there was a lot more of me looking at you angrily? Yes. It was during these plot points. I am also furious. And so then I'm he, very angry. And then he goes back to Iowa City and is like, hey, uh, or he goes back to Carney for a while, but it's not the same. He doesn't like it anymore, and he's alone, and it's because he's in love with Veronica Gale. And why? Why are you in love with Veronica Gale? There's nothing that I have led me to believe that you two actually even like each other, much less love, because you're always constantly fighting. And not even like a, you leave the toilet seat up kind of fighting. It's like, I don't understand how you live your life kind of fighting. And he goes back to Iowa City, and he's like, hey, yo, I'm an assassin. Uh, my family was assassins. We're not anymore. And she goes, like, oh, cool. Here's a glass of wine. Uh, tell me all about your assassinating. And so he, like, goes through the stuff, and... Then she's like, oh, neat. Uh, and then, uh, so, throughout this book, she's been a big fan of this one senator. So, excuse me. Senator Anderson, who is, like, this brash, upstart politician with populist views. And I was like, this is kind of getting weirdly, like, 
premature about Bernie. Like, it was more of a Bernie type thing. Because okay. it's like, all the young kids are into it. Yeah. And he died of a mysterious heart attack. And this is introduced, like, maybe a quarter of the way through the book. That this she's really into this dude. And it was always very mysterious. And we think it was all of these businesses that, uh, like, the Wall Street that took him down. Right. And so... Uh, the main character is like, no, it was a heart attack. Stop being conspiratorial. And as soon as that happens, you're like, you did it. Like, either you yeah. or someone in your family did it, obviously. Yeah. And so then the three quarters of the book goes past, and one of the last, uh, the penultimate scene is him being like, by the way, Senator Anderson, I'm the one who murdered him. And the reader goes, yeah, of course. And she's like, oh. And then goes and cleans up for like 45 minutes without saying anything. And so he goes back to his trailer and cries. Because he has lost the woman that he loves and he's going to die and his guinea pig is going to die. And then she comes in and she's like, so where are we going? Because I'm living with you now. And then they get married. No. Yeah. No, they don't. Yeah, they no, do. No, they don't. They do. No, they... No. There's No. A... They don't get married. No. Uh, I just want to read this epilogue after everything. This is how it ends. No. I, I, I'm so furious. And so it came to pass that the Bombays were out of the assassination business. This was big news, but there was no one we could really tell. Mum's visit to Greenland with the others went well. The previous council members had, eno- had enough of pureed food in the sullen staff. They all retired to Santa Muerta, oh, the St. Death is the name of their island, to live out the rest of their days in peace. I think they even liked it. By the way, his uh, uh, mom calls him Squidgy. Uh... Mom and Dad took a trip around the world to celebrate. By the, ta- by the time they came back one year later, Veronica and I presented them with their first grandson named Theodore. He was the first Bombay without a place name. I don't know what that means. Uh, my parents bought an RV so they could travel with without us. Without a place name? He's not named after a place. Well, no, but none of the other Bombays are either. There's Missy and then there's like Cat. All those sorts of things. None of them have place names except for him. My brain is exploding. Yeah. I'm furious. Oh, by the way, he drives around in a big RV. Um, as Veronica and me, we decided that we are just going to travel around the country, checking things out here at home. We figured that we had five years to find the place we would want to settle down before Theodore had to start school. My mother is rooting for New Mexico, but I kind of like San Francisco. Dad is still trying to convince us to move to Australia, and according to Veronica, no matter where we go, Iowa is the best place to be, which is right. Who knows where we will end up? I'm not making any plans yet. I am looking forward to settling down with my family, dot, 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 someday. And for a retired carny slash assassin with a guinea pig and a PhD, the future looks pretty good. The end. Okay. I just want to clarify a few things. I can't help you. So from Veronica's perspective, she meets this guy. He's an asshole. Then she mysteriously bumps into him in not one, but two places very far from where they first met. Mm-hmm. And then... He essentially kidnaps her and her cousin, brings them to an island for a day. Don't forget about the part where she was kidnapped by somebody else. Yeah, she was kidnapped by someone else who he fights and and all of that. Then he takes her to an island for a day. Leaves her on the plane. no idea what's going on and then flies her back home and then confesses that he's an assassin who killed a person that she felt very strongly about. And then she decides to immediately marry him, and then immediately after marrying him, have a child. Yeah, exactly. Uh, by the way, it turns out Senator Anderson was actually a bad person. He was into some weird sexual kinks, which, king shaving, come on. And also had, like, corruption scandals dwelling underneath the surface, so that's why they killed him. 
because that makes it okay. I can't. His mom named him Coney Island Bombay and then nicknamed him Squidgy? Yes. I don't, you are led to believe that there's some sort of like Australian or English accent behind the parents, but it never comes out in any sort of like conversation or reaction or narration. I am so furious. You didn't even have to I read have it. never been more furious about a terrible book before in my life. I am more furious about this book than I was about Midnight Sins. <laughs> it's a terrible I am angry. Yeah, and it's all written super conversationally and like high schoolish too. At least it was short. I don't know. I just read it quickly. The it's a, was it's a pretty little book. Um, altogether, two hundred ninety-one pages. That's a short one. I had. I like how we both have those. I have four hundred and forty. Nice. I like how we both had those subscribe to our book things or pay us and we'll send you more books and it's like can i pay you to never put out books again yeah how much money would i have to give whoever wrote i shot you babe to never again put pen to paper or finger to typewriter i would like to read to you her biography like her about the author because she's from dewitt iowa but i can't because iowa city has seen fit to put like five different stickers over her uh, about the author page. Maybe because they were afraid Ashamed. that you would find her. Yeah. They and were... like express your opinions about I'm, the book I'm not gonna yell to at her, her face. I think I just, want to yell at her. They're just ashamed about having a person from Iowa. That was bad. That was so bad. Wow. I feel like I weathered this a lot better than you did, which is super backwards. This has hurt my soul and I didn't even have to read it. Wow. Maybe we should do this with, uh, when we're drunk more often because then you, it like rolls off your back when you're tipsy. I think you finally had to face the full weight of the books you've been getting. Maybe. Anyway, uh, that will do us for Bibliovile for this period, this two week span. Uh, if you have not noticed, we have begun to release on an, uh, a regular schedule. We release every other Thursday on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, this one went out a little early so that you can like download it and have it for traveling. But you will see us on next Thursday, or next, next Thursday, which is going to be in December. Oh my goodness gracious. 2016, where have you gone and how can you go faster? It will release on the Day of Infamy itself, December 8th. And by that, I mean the day after the Day of Infamy. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I, I am at at Dickima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. Susan is at Susan J, S with three U's, S-A-N-J. Uh, you can read our written blog posts uh, and book reports on these books as well at opinionsandother.blogspot.com. That is where we throw those up uh, each and every time. If this is your first one, you can read back through even further than the podcast exists. Uh, we did about three or four before we had a podcast as well that uh, you may want to check out. They're pretty good. Yeah. Um, the song for our intro is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. And if you are listening to this on your way to Thanksgiving festivities, travel safe and have a great time. Yeah. Uh, be thankful for podcasts and stuff. Oh, I'm thankful for podcasts. This is real fun. I'm thankful for good books. Yeah. Ugh. Buh. Ugh. Me Buh. too. Buh. 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 Bye. Have a good afternoon, Matt.